Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Uh, G'day everybody on Zoom and to those here in the Ministry Centre tonight. It's delightful to open up this challenging passage from Colossians. And might I say this has been a, a, a pretty powerful passage over the last couple of weeks for us. And tonight, inevitably, from a passage like this, we're going to end up talking together about, and I trust at home, as well as in our community, our lives at home, our lives in our households, our lives as family, as husbands or wives or fathers or mothers or brothers or sisters or children. Uh, And that might be challenging because all of us have had uh, stories in our own families which speak of uh, failures uh, and hardships as well as celebrations and joys. Uh, But Paul is not idealistic about the Christian family. And when he writes these words to the Christians in Colossae in the ancient world, family uh, households were in crisis as uh, they are in many places today. So there's nothing idealistic here. This is very real and practical and uh, in Christ. uh, The renewal of which Paul speaks is uh, something to achieve prayerfully and perseveringly. Uh, So I trust that there's real hope as well as realism about what we're going to learn from the scriptures tonight. Uh, But let's be up for some good conversations in the weeks to come uh, from this very practical passage of scripture. So let's pray now and then we'll commence. Lord, we commit our hearts, our lives, our homes, our households, our families to you and we pray that in our homes you would be glorified and honoured perhaps in new ways in this year to come. Uh, So speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing that the disciples of Jesus throughout the ancient world uh, were the agents of renewal. Uh, Their lives were now hidden with Christ in God and in Christ with whom they had been bound, interwoven and joined, in Christ's death and resurrection and Holy Spirit and return, God brought about a social revolution. It wasn't a violent revolution. It was a revolution accomplished quietly, as it were, by the transformation of hearts and relationships. In Acts a couple of weeks ago, we noticed that people in households in places like Colossae started doing things that no one else was doing listening to the teaching of God's word by apostles, breaking bread together, praying, seeing signs and wonders and healings and miracles, sharing their possessions, giving money to the poor, selling their property, sharing meals with strangers, making friends with Jewish people, and living lives of joy and integrity. And in a little town like Colossae, they were becoming agents of new life for Christ in governments across societies as individuals and families and in workplaces and homes. 
when Paul writes the words that he does in 3.18 and following, we need to understand a little bit about the households of the first century and they weren't much like households that we might think of today. Though, of course, there's plenty of diversity, many of these Greco-Roman households had a very strong man at the head. He was called a pater familius or a father of the household. If he uh, could be, he was a Roman citizen and he was like a mini emperor in his household. He held the power of life and death over all household members, wives, children, slaves and others who were in the household, clients and visitors. And uh, there were many members often in these households. He owned all the property. He had total rights over household members. He determined which gods were worshipped. If his children angered him, he had the legal right to discipline them, often brutally, to disown them if he wanted to, to sell them into slavery, even to kill them. He had the right to determine whether to keep a newborn baby. We are told that after birth, the midwife placed the new baby on the ground only if the household father, the paterfamilias, picked up the baby, was it kept. If he didn't pick it up, the baby was exposed, deliberately abandoned. This often happened to babies with disabilities, sometimes to baby girls, to any baby that the man didn't want. Exposed babies died. They starved, they were perhaps eaten by wild animals or possibly they were picked up by others to become slaves. These are the kinds of households that were being transformed by Jesus. And to these households that have now become Christian, Paul writes the words of Colossians 3. There are three primary relationships that these mini-emperor men had. The wife, the children, and the slaves. And Paul addresses all of them. And he speaks about a transformation of these relationships through faith in Christ. On each occasion, he addresses the weaker, the more vulnerable first. He speaks to the wives, to the children, to the household slaves. And then he addresses, in a revolutionary way, these powerful men who were husbands, fathers and masters. Isn't it wonderful that the Apostle writes to the children? By doing so, he affirms that they are members of the church. They are in Christ. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They are being transformed by the gospel they are recognised and included in an inspired letter from God. Because of Jesus, the exercise of power in households is turned completely upside down. How does the scripture see power? Not as control, certainly not as abuse. Power in scripture, in the light of Christ, takes the shape of the cross its cruciform, its life-giving resurrection, its power as love. Power as love. So what we read now from 3.18 and following is peppered with sayings such as, as is fitting in the Lord, 
or as to the Lord, or it pleases the Lord. Every relationship is reimagined and re-experienced now in the Lord. And so this is a dramatic upheaval of the kinds of households that start to dot their way throughout the Greco-Roman world. Wives, submit yourself to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husband, love your wife. And though the words aren't added as in Ephesians 5 by Paul, in that text he says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. These household lords are now sacrificial. They will give themselves up for their wives. They will love as Christ loved. Henceforth, in a Christian household, submission and love meet. Submission and love meet. And children, obey the parent, for this pleases the Lord. Obedience now is in keeping with what pleases the Lord's and fathers, strong mini emperor, don't embitter your children. Don't discourage your children. In Ephesians 6.4, in a parallel passage, Paul makes it clear, children are to grow up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Obedience now meets nurturing instruction. Godly discipline. Obedience is to nurturing discipline. Very radically, Paul speaks to slaves and masters. From now on, slaves in the household, your obedience flows from a whole heart, an undivided heart, a heart of sincerity, fearing the Lord. You are now working for Jesus. And from Jesus, you will get your inheritance. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Masters, you now have a master in heaven. Not any master, but the resurrected Jesus is your master. Remember your master as you exercise your mastership over slaves. Work is now worship. Work is service to Jesus Slaves and masters have a master who loves them. All relationships are reimagined and re-experienced because of union with Jesus, who is a Caesar unlike any Roman emperor has ever been. The kingdom of God has come and the kingdom of Rome looks nothing like it. Imagine if you were neighbours to a household that has become Christian, where the Man, the mini-emperor, is now a disciple of Jesus. What are you seeing in the neighbourhood? Well, the household is now led by a man who no longer beats his slaves, who no longer has mistresses living in the household, who no longer welcomes prostitutes to the family meals, who no longer is entertained by little boys and little girls. The household now keeps and loves a child born lame. The household has no shrines to Roman gods in its property and starts to invite strangers and poor people to share meals. The household makes friends with Jews 
who also worshipped Messiah Jesus and breaks through ethnic boundaries. And this household can be heard singing and praying to Jesus loudly each week. Perhaps this household becomes a subject of admiration, but more likely wonder and weirdness. Maybe even suspicion and opposition. But the point is, and Paul's point is, this household is different. This household is an agent of the kingdom of Jesus. And this is not mere conformity or outward obedience to a new set of rules. Paul's words reflect on the state of the human heart. And that's why we read Psalm 86 tonight. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Work is for the Lord. Work is worship. And it will flow out of a sincere heart. Whatever you do, 323, work at it uh, literally heartily with all your heart as working for the Lord. And Paul uses two different words there. And one of them speaks about the core of your being, your heart. But the other one talks about your soul. Work with the essence of who you are. Work with your being. Work with the fullness of who you are. All of your will and emotion and mind is in play as you work for Jesus. These household rules in 3.18 and following are practices of the heart as the Holy Spirit renews the heart. The Scriptures has always been interested in the state of the human heart. Remember, way back in Exodus and Deuteronomy, Moses commanded Israel... Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Now that the Spirit of God has come and Christ is risen, hearts are being renewed, not only of men, but women and children and slaves, husbands and masters. And the first fruit of the Spirit's heart presence is love. The psalmist prayed in 86, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name now Jesus has displayed an undivided heart and sent his spirits to unite our hearts so Paul prays in the Ephesians letter that out of God's glorious riches he may strengthen all of you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and by dwell there, Paul means that Christ might find your heart a home, a comfortable dwelling, a place where he belongs and his lordship is welcome. Heart renewal is the key to relationship renewal. The ancient wisdom writer had instructed, above all else, guard your heart, for from it everything else Flows. Now King Jesus guards and fashions the hearts of people. This is a revolutionary moment in the history of the world and we stand in line in the 21st century with God's commitment to renew our hearts. Make Psalm 86 a prayer each day. Human transformation in Christ is one of motive and action. 
inner life and outer practice, heart and habit, both in households and more widely across all the spheres of life. And the apostle goes on to dress those other spheres in 4, 2 to 6. He talks about prayer and proclamation. He talks about wisdom and speech in the way Christians behave towards outsiders, those who are looking on, who are still wondering whether Jesus is truly the Caesar or not. And he says, let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt and be ready to tell people about Jesus when they see how different you live. And be devoted to praying and be alert and be thankful and specifically ask for prayer in the prison where he is chained. Well, in Colossians 3.18, Paul has taken households as a key context for the renewal of human life. And one commentator makes this comment, the life of the new age begins at home. The life of the gospel, the life of Christ begins at home. In 3.1-17, Paul has given us a set of instructions about how to live as Christians. But now he's imagining those being put into practice in our core relationships. Let me remind us of some of the words of 3, 1 to 17. So put to death, Paul writes, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed. Fathers, husbands, wives, men, women, mum, dad, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and be thankful. Family members, children, get rid of anger and rage and filthy language. Do not lie to one another. Mums, dads, husbands, wives, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. One commentator, in reflecting on the relationship between husbands and wives, about which Paul writes in Colossians, has this challenging comment to make. He writes, The wife must forego the temptation to rule her husband's life, using perhaps one of the many varieties of domestic blackmail. The husband must ensure that his love for his wife, like Christ's for his people, always puts her interests first. In particular, he must scrupulously avoid the temptation to resent her from being the person she is, to become bitter or angry when she turns out to be, like him, a real human being and not merely the projection of his own hopes or fantasies. It is when husbands and wives understand these guidelines and live by them that they are truly free. Free to mature and develop within the creative context of mutual love and respect. The life of the new age begins at home. I entitled the sermon, Lord, Renew Our Hearts and Homes. And I believe that's a a promise that God makes in Colossians 3 and the responsibility we have in terms of the renewal of hearts and relationships in homes. 
in our times and places in the 21st century here in the Blue Mountains, too many homes remain angry and unsafe, even violent and immoral, including too many homes in which faith in Christ is present among household members. The church, alive at five tonight, needs to consist of people whose homes and hearts are being renewed, whose core relationships are so different that neighbours are asking questions that we will answer with wisdom and grace, seasoned with salt, as they inquire, why do you live that way, with that generosity, with that love, with that self-sacrifice, with that inclusiveness, with that kindness, with that compassion? A couple of questions to take away tonight. What can we celebrate about our homes and families? What's going well? But what needs to change in my heart and in my home? In your home, in our homes, what needs to change? What do we need to surrender to our Caesar, Jesus, the risen King? What do we celebrate about our homes and families? But what needs to change? in our homes, in our hearts. Lord, give us undivided hearts. Have some robust conversation this week and in the weeks to come as we consider that, as we experience that together in households in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you will transform our hearts that there is a new power in the world since Jesus rose from the dead. And that that power transmitted through your Holy Spirit and through the fellowship of the church renews hearts and homes, relationships and habits and actions and thoughts. Lord, make us worthy of the gospel. Give us undivided hearts and renew our homes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.